Welcome back. Another episode of And Another Thing, the world's greatest podcast. My name is Jody Jenkins. I am Tony Clement. And did you notice, Tony, how I said the world's greatest podcast? We used to be Canada's greatest podcast, but based on the research that I know you've been accumulating, like mad, where it's blowing up. Can you have give us the latest? What country are we huge in now? Well, it's really been very interesting. Uh, Myanmar has uh, we really come up the ranks in Myanmar, and I would say Ecuador is also oh Ecuador. The so oh, that's yes, that's I a new you. one. Okay, I tell you, <laughs> yeah, we're we're going places. It's funny because I've I've obviously I've been listening to a lot more podcasts just generally. I think it's a big trend in our society. But when we started doing the podcast starting last December, let's say, I started to listen more and more and find out you know how other hosts introduce their and they're all saying they're the greatest in the world there's not one single podcast who says welcome to our po- podcast we suck yeah but you know i, I just want to make that clear that uh, we're not the only ones touting ourselves you go to any podcaster and they're saying we're the best welcome to the best podcast ever so but we actually we actually back it up though that's the difference we they, back it the up other podcast statistics yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right we have a bang up show for you today and i'm going to let tony introduce our guest but quickly the next several shows we are going to be highlighting some of the conservative lead well most of the conservative leadership candidates we're kind of doing features on all the candidates except for one i don't really want to you know single this individual well, you out you never know he might he might change his mind you don't, I don't, you don't know well, i don't want to i don't want to single him out peter mckay let's let, but, let's, uh, not, let's not single out <laughs> peter mckay just yet but he, I feel like he's going to big league us. I feel like he won't uh, come on. So no, I, I, I'm getting that vibe. I'm getting that vibe. But no, anyway, right. we've got uh, three excellent candidates who have agreed to come on the program. And I also have a guest lined up from the United States of America in the next couple of weeks, uh, a Politico. Uh, I think he's in Tennessee. Uh, don't quote me on that. Somewhere around there. Uh, and we, we, we have to talk about U.S. politics. I mean, we just have to talk about U.S. politics uh, because of all the uh, all the stuff going on down there. So we, we Canadian politics, U.S. politics, uh, this is the place to be for the next few episodes. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to let you introduce our guest today, and then we're going to get into the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> okay. Well, it's our pleasure. Uh, it, the first in a series of interviews with the Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidates, uh, Leslyn Lewis has agreed to come on our program and as our guest today, she is a Canadian lawyer uh, and uh, she uh, is obviously since uh, Andrew Scheer stepped down officially in December of last year uh, has agreed that she wants to be one of our candidates. She was born in Jamaica and holds a Juris Doctorate and a PhD from Osgoode Hall Law School as well as a master's degree in environmental studies from York University. Uh, She's practiced law for 20 years and ran in the 2015 federal election in not auspicious circumstances. Let's face it. She, uh, she, she launched her political career in the, in the writing of uh, Markham Stowe, no, actually in the writing of Scarborough Rouge Park and really was kind of, uh, jettisoned into that because we had uh, the Conservative Party had some problems with the, the candidate record. He had to be ejected, and um, and Leslin uh, uh, opted to uh, help out the party by being a last minute candidate. There did very well. She received over thirteen thousand votes, uh, so good for her for doing that. All of which is to say, she is a legitimate contender for the crown of the Conservative Party leadership. Please welcome 
to the program, Leslie uh-huh. Lewis. Welcome. Well, well thank you, Tony. That was just such a wonderful introduction. So thank you. I hope I can live up to it on this show. Well, I know you will. I know you will. And, uh, and thank you again for taking some time. So I know you get asked all the time, uh, why are you running? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it in a slightly different way. I hope you don't mind. Um, and I'm going to ask you, what were the circumstances? Walk us through your thought process on how you decided you could run and how you decided you were going to run. T- take us through that a little bit. Well, I think it started back late fall last year when I was just watching how things were playing out and after, you know, the election. And I was watching the narrative and the discourse and it was really, really being framed around the fact that certain people in the the Conservative Party um, had to go in order for the party to be functional and winnable. And and also just the narrative that the the Andrew Shear, who you know put us into a into into a position where he won the majority of the seats um, or the, the vote counts, um, right. he had more votes than you know popular votes, but he didn't win the election. And so we did have some gains there, but still the narrative was you know it's because he's a social conservative, and you know I, I just found that that. I didn't buy into that narrative. And so the more that, you know, I saw what was unfolding, I said, if this party really, really does not start to value all sides of the party, we're not going to have a conservative party anymore. And so I became very concerned about that. And so I started thinking about, well, I think that there has to be somebody that can really, really articulate the social conservative position and there and be respectful of others who don't share that that um, mind that uh, perspective. And so that's when I decided that I think that, you know, I, I should jump in and see if I could really uh, be the glue that holds things together. Now, so you jump in, uh, you've got a focus uh, or I wouldn't say a focus on social conservative issues because it, it makes you sound like a one issue candidate and you're definitely not that, but that was the impetus that got you in the race. Uh, you declare, and I remember I see, I remember seeing you at the uh, Ontario PC party conference uh, in February, late February. And we're all there and we're all mixing and mingling. There's a couple thousand people there. Many candidates were there and then COVID-19 hits. How has COVID-19 change the political picture for you as a candidate for the conservative leadership? Well, I think it flattened everything and it created more of an, a, a level playing field because you have to remember when I started out, um, I didn't have the political uh, Rolodex that everybody else had. And so I could only really tap in on the organizations that I worked for nationally and say, okay, well, what's your network? Can you help me out here um, in different provinces? And the threshold was set very high, 30 ridings you needed, um, 10 provinces and 3,000 signatures. And so I had to spend some time collecting that to meet that um, that requirement. And then there was a 300,000 buy-in and by the time I got my um, my ballots and you know my supporters collected and met that requirement, I only had 18 days to raise my 300,000. So that was really tough. So I really it took a lot of 
uh, mobilization and, and, you know, I guess knocking on every door, not literally, but figuratively that I could and calling in every favor to make sure that I, I, I was able to meet that threshold. And I did with a few days, uh, you know, a few days early. So it really, it, after that, after COVID hit, I think it flattened everything because everybody else started fundraising before and they had their pledges and I didn't. So everything was really late on our part. But then after COVID hit, it kind of flattened everything. And how much money you had didn't matter. It's how you connected with people. And so I was able to, you know, connect with my message and test out the fact that I believe that a conservative party, um, that the big blue tent is, is still where we should be. And to test out that message within the base. And the base really warmed up to that. It resonated with them. And so they, you know, coalesced behind me. And that's how I, I've reached so far. But COVID was a great equalizer in the terms of campaign strategy because we all had to now run an electronic campaign. And mm-hmm. it meant that um, you couldn't have, you know, your friends on Bay Street or wherever holding these large functions for you. You literally had to connect with the base. And so that worked out in my favor. Did you are you relying mostly on newcomers to the party or are they do you have some seasoned people or is it a mixture of both? Well, I I have my campaign team is very seasoned. I made sure that, you know, my um, campaign manager, Steve Outhouse, is is very qualified. He was Pierre Lemieux's um, campaign manager in the last leadership race. And so I do have good support that way. But my strategy was I just assumed that the existing membership base was going to be more favorable towards Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole. So what I did is I said, you know what, I need to sign up as much mom, as, as many members as exist now. And so that's what we did. We signed up just a lot of members and I think, and we were quiet about it. We didn't let anybody know. And I think when the membership list came out, everybody looked and said, where did all these people come from? And I just said, well, that was our strategy. So that was our strategy to bring in new conservatives. And the way we did it is that we reached out to these community organizations that have conservative values, but nobody ever bothered to reach out and say, hey, you know, we support family values. We want to make sure that Justin Trudeau doesn't come into your house and dictate how you raise your children. And so when we connected with these organizations, we were able to sign up conservatives by the tens of thousands and it and it was very relatively easy to do and because they believed in our message and then what we did was is we said okay are we going to be able to convert some of the existing members and naturally the existing members were very receptive also because the message was real and it was what it was what they wanted to hear so we were very fortunate in that respect also so, uh, we should know, say uh, for our audience, uh, Leslin, uh, that uh, the membership list for the Conservative Party of Canada is at 269,000 members, I believe. That's right. And that is, I think, 15,000 members greater than in the 20, uh, 2017 race where you had 15 candidates. So it's it really, and everybody has written, you know, you get all these uh, inside the bubble Ottawa 
folks saying, you know, writing off the Conservative Party of Canada and saying that they're 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 a dog's breakfast and they've got no future. And yet we we have the largest membership base in the history of the country. Yeah, and I, I you know what, I'm I'm proud of the work that I did to build that because I saw that there was a real um, a real gap in reaching certain individuals that had conservative values that we just weren't reaching. And I found a way to connect with them. And so I'm, I'm very happy about that. Yeah. I got to ask you, um, how would you characterize your management style? Everybody, every prime minister who comes in, every leader who comes in has their own individualistic management style. As you know, I was in Stephen Harper's cabinet for 10 years. And before that I was in the cabinets of Mike Harris and Ernie East. They each is. They each had their own management style. What would you say? How, if you were the leader of the party and then prime minister of the country, how would you manage? What What is your management style? Well, I think particularly about my personality. I I'm a perfectionist, and anybody who works with me, they realize that. You know, I write my own policies to a large extent. Although I rely, you know, on my team for input. Um, my own speeches, um, my own videos. I want to conceptualize them and and have a an artistic uh, involvement in things like that, which I know I won't be able to do moving forward uh, always. Um, but I would I would say that my management style is I don't see myself as a savior or a hero of the party. I see myself as somebody who um, is able to articulate the big tent vision and bring people into the party and. Um, from a management perspective, because I'm basically an outsider coming in, I have a lot of respect for the uh, members of parliament that have done the work on the ground and that have been in the trenches. And so I want to come in from a a place of respect where I am the first among equals. And so I will gather people who, um, you know, existing MPs who I believe will be an integral part of my team and it will be the first among equals. And I will respect the fact that they have a strong contribution to make to, to the leadership. I've got to ask you about, um, uh, of course, the other big societal shift that has happened during the leadership uh, has been uh, Black Lives Matter, which is not only an American phenomenon, but it has gone worldwide. Uh, how has the ascendancy of Black Lives Matter as a, as a dialogue and as a point of action in so many communities. How has that changed the way you've thought of yourself and how you have prosecuted the leadership contest? Well, I don't think it's, it has changed um, my narrative any whatsoever, whatsoever because I've always been focused on what's in the best interest of all Canadians what can I do to make sure that um, we make the best policies for all Canadians? So the, I mean, the issue of racism has come to the forefront. And I've been called upon as a person of color to explain certain things. And I, I do the best job in, in trying to edify people as to what the differences, for example, is between individual racism versus systemic racism. And I also explain, you know, the, just the fact that as a Canadian, a black woman with a PhD, 
you know, I owe a lot to this country and I'm very, you know, I'm very proud of my country. I'm very proud that I received scholarships throughout um, school, that I received grants. And this were all, you know, from the benefit of Canadian taxpayers. So I see Canada as the best country in the world. And I, and I say that even, even though we are the best, of course, there are going to be times and systems and organizations that we can improve on. And so I'm here to work with everyone to see how we can move forward as a Canadian family and improve whatever um, organizations that there may be shortcomings in. I'm going to pass uh, the uh, speaking rights over to my colleague and uh, partner, Jody Jenkins. So sorry, Jody, I've been uh, hogging the mic a little bit. Do you, do you want to engage in any questions? You're always taking over, Tony. That's kind of your that's kind of your <laughs> calling card. Um, Leslie, I'm just curious from, and I don't know how much of this you can share, if any, but have you heard from Aaron or Peter or even their respective teams? Are they trying to cut deals? Have, what what are they saying to you, or or have you not heard anything from them? Well, I think that the, the campaign managers generally speak um, more so than the candidates. But, um, you know, Aaron and Peter have both reached out to me and they've told me that, you know, of my value and, and the fact that they're very proud of the race that I've led. And, um, you know, and, and just as colleagues, we've reached out to each other and we've had conversations. And my other question I wanted to ask, if you're not successful as the leader in the leadership race, will you run again as a candidate in the next federal election? Well, to, to be honest with you, the work that I started, I think it's, it's a good work that I started with bringing in new, um, new Canadians into our party. And it's, I've been so successful at it that I think that it's something that I'd like to continue to expand our party and just to get that message, um, our conservative values out there in, in certain key segments that I think that we are going to need to not only win the next election, but to win a majority. So absolutely, I'd like to continue to work in the party and to continue the work that I've started. Excellent. Um, can I, uh, I'd love to hear some stories about uh, some reactions you've received from everyday Canadians. Obviously, you're getting a lot of reaction uh, from members of the Conservative Party, people who are very active in the party, who maybe live, breathe, and think politics 24-7. Can you give us a sense of what sort of reactions you're getting from, uh, from ordinary Canadians who may not be as politically engaged as members of the party? Yeah, people are seeing a lot of hope in me because I, you know, I have a way of just answering questions and not dodging them and just telling the truth about what situations are. And they see a sincerity in me from the, you know, from my background. I've worked with so many um, diverse type of organizations and um, I've been able to demonstrate a respect for people who don't think like me. And so I've had people, you know, when I articulate things, I've had people call me and cry. Um, I've had, you know, people just really overwhelmed that I view things like even, you know, how I've described the, my opposition to the fact that I don't believe that the police should be defunded. And I believe it's a, you know, an organization that we really need to invest in and we need to improve. And, um, you know, people just, 
are very, very touched by my honesty and, and um, the fact that I'm, I, I'm sincerely acting in what I believe is in, in the best interest of, of all Canadians. And right now there's a lot of vulnerability and I'm just going to put it out there, even in amongst white Canadians, there's a lot of vulnerability in things that they're seeing. And there's a lot of deconstruction of social norms and people are frightened. And so I, I appear to be a very comforting um, voice for them because I I bring some reason into everything that's happening, and um, I don't have the you know the traditional. Many people would expect that I would have very liberal views on on certain issues, but even you know things such as revising our history. I I say that we we need to learn from our past, and I don't want to make the same mistakes that we've made. And I recognize that. Um, you know, historical figures are human beings and human beings are going to make errors. And, you know, we, we have to have certain standards in judging human errors. If, if you know, someone who, who has done something that's overwhelmingly bad for society, like someone like Hitler, of course we wouldn't memorialize um, someone like that. But someone who's acted in the best interest of society and has a few human failings, I think that we can learn from those human failings. And so I I see things very, very differently. And I, I just want us to get to a place in Canadian society where we respect our past and we say, yes, it's not perfect. And we learn from those mistakes and move forward. It's, it's such an anxious time to be running for a position of leadership with COVID and uh, uh, the the racial dialogue that's going on and economic uncertainty, uh, you know, it's a very unusual time to be running for political leadership. You, you must have sensed that anxiety coming from people, right? Yes, people are very concerned. I mean, people are concerned about even basic things like, will I be able to earn a living again? Um, you know, we think of rights as you know, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of speech. People are articulating rights as freedom to work. Can I, will I be able to work again? Will I be able to go in a crowd again? Will I be able to, to um, have a gathering in my home of 30 people, of my friends again? So these are things that the vulnerability is immense. And the mental health factors that we're seeing, um, I get letters you know, thousands of letters. And there are lots of people who are going through deep mental health challenges right now because of the isolation and because of the transition in society. And they want somebody, they want a steady hand who they know is fair and has, you know, gone through some adversities in life, pushed through and and succeeded. They want somebody that like that at the helm. What's, uh, what's the last book that you've read? What's the the last book that you've read? Um, I read one by Cardinal. Um, I can't remember his name, and it's about actually the destruct de- deconstruction of society and just how to get back to, um, you know, how to value what we what we've had in in society. Um, it's 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 a pope. It's, I can't remember his name right now, Cardinal. It's he's a black pope. Um, oh, he wrote, okay. yeah, not I'm sorry, not the black pope. Uh, he's a Catholic um, priest, right? Okay, and so he was mm-hmm. talking about uh, 
sort of society, uh, you know, going through massive change and uh, presumably the role of faith in, in connecting people again? Is that, is that the gist exactly, of it? Exactly what it is. And the role of faith and, and faith as, as, you know, as a core um, tenant that society needs to eventually turn back to because of all the confusion. So that's the last book that I read. I, uh, I've got to ask um, as well, uh, obviously you've got support from members of caucus, I think about a half a dozen uh, MPs last time I checked, uh, but, you know, leadership races by definition are divisive things. You know, people are in different camps and they say things that they really should regret, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, go beyond the pale with their fellow uh, conservative party members. It's it's kind of natural in, lead, in any leadership race. How uh, do you have a plan to unite caucus and unite the party uh, uh, upon success? Um, well, I think that unity has to start from respect. And I think that what it is, is that we have to start respecting um, divergent perspectives within our caucus. And once we have that as a foundation, I think that we could, we could, um, you know, that could be a platform that we that we start from. Jody, over to you. <laughs> well, I think probably we should honor uh, the doctor's time because we are at the end of our allowed um, oh, length we're, of we're, program. We had a lot of time. We had a lot of time. Again. That's right. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh, I do want to thank Leslin for doing this. I will also throw this out there because Tony's much too humble to say it, but we absolutely can be bought our support. Um, so it, 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 it just takes a minor investment. <laughs> it, it actually isn't. It's not even as much as you might think. It's quite yeah. low. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so listen, uh, well, so, uh, that's loud, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, I'm not sure whether the uh, the Lee off will like that. But uh, listen, uh, I, I, I much respect for you, Leslin, uh, for doing this and for being so open, and uh, I wish you nothing but success. Well, it was it was a real pleasure um, having being on your show, and you know, just the questions that you asked, it really got down to uh, who I am and you know why I'm doing it, and not just the traditional social conservative um, questions. So, I think it's important. Like, yeah, people forgot. To, look, this is the way political leadership is now. They people want to know their leaders, want to know how, how they tick, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, because you know the issues come and go. Uh, so I could ask, I mean, I could ask, we could have had a whole conversation about the environment and about fiscal probity and uh, whatever else. But really, uh, people want to know what makes you tick because then they can say, okay, well, that, I know how she will react to all these unforeseen circumstances that are afflicting the world, right? So right. Uh, that's why I asked the questions uh, the way I did. And the book, the last book was The Power of Silence against the dictatorship of noise and it was by cardinal sarah so that was the last book. Uh, okay good i'm glad you got that in <laughs> that's good that's... it was on the tip of my tongue and i couldn't remember yeah, no it. i don't, yeah. don't know harm no foul there so i wrote I, I read some book about the the decline of the roman republic so there you go we're all we're yeah. all trying to learn from the past and uh, protect into the future so there you go uh okay. thank you for being on our program Leslin. yeah thank you Leslin. okay all right. Okay. Take care.
Well, in case you're wondering, Tony, the last book I read was a Choose Your Own Adventure. If you remember those books at all? No, what's that all about? Tell well, me. that was when uh, you would actually have different choices of how you wanted the story to go. It was probably oh. a little bit after your time in high school or public school, but yeah, there used to be a Choose Your Own Adventure series, and you would come to a certain part of the book, and you would say it would say choose this or choose that, and depending on what you chose, you'd flip to a certain page, and then the story would be different. So. Well, that's a good life lesson for uh, for all people. Yes, that's really the way my life has gone. <laughs> choose, yes, choose your own. Maybe that is what life is. Maybe this is just a <laughs> choose, choose your, your own adventure, adventure book. Yeah, oh my god, you're on page that's getting too deep now. What, what happened, man? I'm on page seventy three. Something <laughs> happened. Who chose? Who chose this twenty twenty year? Oh my yeah, gosh! Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh! I, I actually, I know. I, I wish I was in the parallel universe yeah. uh, where we don't have twenty twenty. So, unfortunately, we're in this one. What are you? What are you going to do? So, so there you go. Yeah. So we got some great guests coming up. Aaron O'Toole. Uh, yeah. We've got Derek Sloan and Peter McKay. If you're listening, if anyone from Peter's team is listening, tell Hello. Peter Hello, we will. Peter. Hello. Yeah, we will. <laughs> is this thing on? And. Yeah. yeah, and uh, Jason Emmert, as I mentioned, uh, has agreed to come on the program. He's a political activist. I've known him for years, uh, and I believe he's in the state of Tennessee. We'll we'll get that figured out before interview time. And uh, uh, he actually took a very strong stance against Confederate statues, which you know was uh, in the state of Tennessee was not uncontroversial. So um, uh, he'll have he'll have a good you'll have a good perspective on uh, what's going on in the U.S. of A. right now. Well, statues are a big talk right now, and I know we talked about it on our last episode. Yeah. And I can tell you here locally in Prince Edward County, uh, there's yeah. a statue of Sir John A. It's called Holding Court. I think it was um, – I can't think of her first name. I want to say Rose Abernathy, but something Abernathy that did this. She was an amazing sculptor. Anyway, it's been vandalized uh, several times in the last uh, week. And uh, it's uh, obviously a point of discussion that they're looking at. But uh, anyway, it's well, uh, we, we saw we yeah. saw on Canada Day, you know, this cancel culture yeah. saying, you know, cancel Canada Day, which is very, very sad. I, you know, let's look, we know uh, Canada is a work in progress and we should, as Leslin said, let's learn from our history. Let's not try yeah, to erase our history. I agree. Let's learn from our history. But uh, I, I, for one, I never thought that this would be a controversial thing to say, but I think we live in the best country in the world. Let's celebrate it at least one day a year uh, and then keep working to make it a better place the other 364 days of the year. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good point. All right. Don't forget to subscribe, right. share the show. And, keep uh, the audience growing. Keep well, the audience get, growing. And I want, uh, I, guess, I want to be higher in Ecuador. Yeah. And uh, you and I will be talking in seven days, and I think we're getting back in the studio, so that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that, so I get to see you face-to-face again, and uh, we'll, our banter will be even better than it is already. Oh, be unreal, off the charts. Off the charts. Okay. All right, buddy, we'll talk soon. For sure.